following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. And you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to finish out the chapter today by looking at verses 14 through 21. Wonderful passage, familiar passage, but one that I'm excited to, to just think about together today. You know, I, uh, I love church history. I love to read stories of saints of the past. And one, one of the things that's fascinating about church history is how God uh, consistently loves to work in surprising ways. Ways that you wouldn't necessarily think that, that He would do. And, and one of the most surprising ways uh, that God has worked in church history is through the life of William Carey. And uh, William Carey uh, was born in 1761 in England uh, to a, a pretty poor family. And uh, he never received much education at all. And so if you were looking for a guy who was going to um, be used of God in dramatic ways, you probably wouldn't have picked William Carey as a young man. And so when he was uh, a teenager, uh, he took up the, the trade of, of shoemaking. And so he learned to be a shoemaker because he figured that was how he was going to spend his life, how he was going to support a family someday. And so uh, he went through the training to, to make shoes. But then another young cobbler shared the gospel with William Carey. And when he was 17 years old, he got saved. And God really saved William Carey. He loved the scriptures, fell in love with the Bible. And within a year of getting saved, he was studying Hebrew and Greek so that he could better understand the Scriptures. And so he studied hard, and by the time he was 24, he was pastoring a small church, not a big church, just a small church and a little place where he grew up. And uh, he loved studying the Bible, but in addition to studying the Bible, he also really enjoyed reading the journals of British explorers. And so you think of the late 1700s, England is traveling the world and finding new places, and so... He was mesmerized by, by these journals of these explorers and specifically by what they were saying about the South Pacific. And over time, God used his study of the Scriptures alongside his study of those journals to put within Carey a very unusual burden for his time. And that's a burden for world missions. Because you see, at that time... Uh, the church in England was pretty strong. The, the Reformation had taken root, and, and so there was a strong uh, Christian tradition already in the country of England. But basically, no one in his context was thinking about taking the gospel to other parts of the world. It was all just for them and where they were at. But, but, as, but as he studied the Scriptures, and as he looked at what was happening in other places around the world, he grieved over the over the lost condition of people all over the world, and, and over the church's failure to reach them with, with the gospel. And so, uh, he was a particular Baptist, uh, which would basically be a, a Calvinistic Baptist group, and, and so he began to push in, in his local church fellowship that, that, that we need to be involved in world missions. And so, uh, one time he was at one of these pastor's fellowships, and and he was making what was a revolutionary argument for his time, which is that the Great Commission was not just for the 12 disciples. That the Great Commission was, was God's 
command to the entire church that, that we were to go and, and take the gospel to all nations and make disciples. And he was speaking. He was making a push for world evangelism. And, and suddenly, an older pastor in the room interrupted him. And he said, he said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. I'm sure it was a little awkward in the room for a moment. But Kerry, he knew he was standing on God's word, and so he continued to push. And, and so in 1792, he published an 87-page pamphlet, book, whatever you want to call it. And listen to this title. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen, in which the religious state of the different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings, and the practicability of the further undertaking considered. How's that for a title? That's about 87 pages in and of itself, isn't it? And so, you know, it was a little different time. But uh, if you saw that title, you'd probably think, there's no way I'm picking up that book. But people read it. And it began to make an impact. And later in that same year, the particular Baptists formed a mission society. And the next year, Carrie and his wife, who was pregnant, and their three children set sail for the country of India and gave their lives to the cause of missions. And, um, and many other people followed. It wasn't just Carrie. Many others followed in his in his train, and, and, and Kerry sparked one of the most transformational movements in church history. We know William Carey today as the father of modern missions. And if you think about the, what, what modern missions has done, I mean, it, it is one of the most transformational movements in the history of the church. Because probably, I mean, probably tens of millions, at least, around the world, have heard the gospel and been saved through the work of world missions. And gospel lights have been established in parts of the world where for millennia, they had no knowledge of who Jesus is or the gospel. I mean, incredible things have been done. And it all began with a simple man with relatively little education who had a strong conviction that what God said, he must obey. And God used him in, in dramatic ways. And, and I'm sure that, that Carrie would have loved, I'm sure he loved, that the passage that we are going to look at today, because it urgently appeals to us to aggressively take the gospel to all people. And it also it urges anyone who has not been saved to respond. So Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. 
But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Well, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, folks, this passage gives two major challenges, and first for the Christian, and then for the non-Christian. And so first, verses 14 through 17 challenge those of us who are saved, very simply, to spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. So, so last Sunday, we, we saw in verses 9 through 13 that the gospel is the very best news in all the world. And verse 13 sums it up beautifully. It says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. God says if you call on the name of the Lord, He will save you. That's great news. But verses 14 and 15 follow that with a sober reality. And that is that people cannot call on the name of the Lord to save them if they do not know and understand and believe the gospel. So, so Paul makes his point by, by asking four questions which work backwards from conversion to commissioning. And his urgency in those questions jumps off the page. And Paul says in this passage, from a human perspective, no one will get saved if we don't share the gospel. Their eternity depends on us sharing the gospel with them. So, so yes, it's true that the old pastor who confronted Carrie what was partially right. God is sovereign. And God will accomplish His sovereign will. And, and Carrie would not have agree, disagreed with that. But, but that old man missed something important. That God uses us to accomplish His will. We play a vital role. And, and so if we don't witness... If we don't tell people about Christ, if they don't know the gospel, they will never be saved. So, so that said, the first step required for people to be saved is that they must believe the gospel. So, so his first question there in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So you can't call on the name of the Lord if you don't believe the gospel. Now, now, that might seem obvious, but, but I don't want to skip over the significance of that because, because not everyone believes that simple truth. So, for example, uh, Clark Pinnock was a, a famous, well-known uh, evangelical scholar, and uh, I think he's passed away now, but, but he writes in one of his work, works, in my judgment, the faith principle is the basis of universal accessibility. Universal accessibility. So he means everyone has access to the gospel. According to the Bible, people are saved by faith, not by the content of their theology. Since God has not left anyone without witness, people are judged on the basis of the light they have received and how they respond to that light. So, so he makes a distinction between faith and theology, that, that you can have saving faith without having an understanding of the gospel, that, that you're just responsible for whatever truth is is available to you. You don't need the gospel to be saved. 
You just need to believe whatever revelation you have. But that's not what God says here. He says that true faith is based on essential doctrine. Faith is not just a feeling in me. Saving faith is rooted in the knowledge of Christ. So so our faith is rooted in essential doctrines and in historical realities. And people cannot be saved unless they know who Jesus is, unless they hear the name of Christ and respond to Him. So you can't call in the name of the Lord if you don't believe the Gospel. So, so when you really begin to think about the implications of that, they're extremely heavy. Yeah, because just you know, some guy in a dark corner of Cambodia you know, calls out to a higher being for help. Is he saved? Well, the Bible says that if he does not know who Jesus is, And what Jesus did for him on the cross, the answer is no. He must believe the gospel to call out to the Lord for salvation. So the need is urgent. And therefore, the salvation of the lost requires a second step. Paul goes on to say in the middle of verse 14, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? So they have to hear about Jesus. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and had them say to you, that is such an incredible truth. I have never heard that before. You know, and it's, it's bittersweet to hear that, right? Because on the one hand, you are so happy that this person is hearing the gospel for the very first time. But it also breaks your heart that, that here's someone who has potentially lived for decades without knowing the most wonderful news in the world. And, and, and even though there are all sorts of churches all over our country, even in our own community, there are lots of people even in our own backyard who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Never once. And, and sadly, their story can be multiplied millions, if not billions of times across the world. And, and so there are so many people who have never heard a plain explanation of the best news in all the world that Jesus saves. And it's tragic because God says they cannot believe and call on the name of the Lord if they do not hear the gospel. So, maybe you've heard the saying before. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And, and it's often held up as, as essentially uh, uh, to, to emphasize the importance of, of a godly life. And, and so the thought is that, that you just live a, a godly, healthy Christian life, and, and then people are just going to be attracted to you and attracted to your message and, and just drawn to, to the godliness of your life. And, and I certainly don't want to minimize the importance of your life to your Christian witness. You can kill your witness by being a hypocrite. And and we need to live in such a way that we make the gospel attractive. But it's also true that you cannot preach the gospel without words. You can't. People have to know who Jesus is, what He has done, and how to believe in order to be saved. God says, how will they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And what's the answer? They won't. They can't. They must hear the truth. If they do not hear the gospel, 
they will go to hell. So who do you know that needs to hear the gospel from you? I'm sure we all know of someone. Someone that maybe they've heard it before but need to hear it again. Maybe there's someone who's never heard it before. Are you being a faithful witness? And then the third step in the process is, he goes on at the end of verse 14 to say, and how will they hear without a preacher? Now, and so the spread of the gospel demands preaching. Now, the idea behind the, the, the Greek term that's translated here, preacher, uh, is, the word, is the word for herald. And so, if you want to understand this, you think back to Roman times, and, and if Caesar was going to make a, a, a decree for, for the empire, he, he couldn't email it out, and he couldn't put it on the news, and he couldn't put it on Facebook or, or on the internet. No, he had to send out heralds all over his empire who, who would read the king's decree. And their job was to go where the king sent them and to repeat the king's message. And God has given a similar duty to those He has called to preach. It's not my job, it's not any preacher's job to stand up and tell you what I think or my opinions or to grab some you know, interesting little thing out of a movie or the news and, and twist it into a Christian message. No, my job according to 2 Timothy 4.2, is to preach the Word, the Bible. So, so the specific focus of our text is that new people, that for new people to hear the Gospel and be saved, that then we need preachers who are gifted and prepared for the complicated work of, of world evangelism and church planning. They've got to know the message. They've got to have the courage and, and the zeal to speak it boldly a life to match it, and the skill to communicate it effectively. And so God is saying here that the work of the Great Commission demands that we raise up preachers and send them out. Now, now I don't want to minimize the fact that, that in some sense we are all, every Christian is a herald, right? Every one of us is called to, to go out and, and be a witness for Christ. And so you need to be a preacher as well in the sense that that you are telling people the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. And every Christian can do that. You can tell people what, what you believed and what God did in your life. But what I do think it's just worth emphasizing that one of our responsibilities as a church is to raise up godly and gifted men who can be pastors and missionaries and church planters all over the world. And so parents, Sunday school teachers, junior church workers, youth workers, you know, I hope that, that you see that, that part of your job in ministering to your children and in other people's children is that you want to be used of God to raise up someone that's going to be a preacher of the gospel. That's a great task. And so you ought, you know, and I know as parents, like, you know, every parent's Nightmare is that your kid would move across the world, right? No parent wants their kid to move across the world. But, but man, I mean, what higher calling could God give than to call your child to take the gospel to new places? And, and every parent, or, or, or to be a wife of someone to do that, obviously, you know, women are, are very much involved in all of this. And, and so parents, young school teachers, all, all our workers... 
I hope that that, that is part of your goal, that, that, that as you minister to children and minister to your kids, that, that you are looking for, for people, who, for kids who have an unusual zeal for the Bible. They, they love the Scriptures, and God has gifted them to communicate the Scriptures, and you want to, to build within them a burden for the Gospel and a burden for, for them to, to go out and spread the good news of Christ. Now, of course, God doesn't just call kids into gospel ministry. He calls adults too. Sometimes in very surprising ways. So, so just because you've you know, you got a job and you've got a house doesn't mean that God couldn't call you either. And so be open to, to what God might do in your life. But, but all of us, ultimately, are called to preach. All of us are called to share the gospel. And, and man, we all ought to feel a burden to see God raise up people from us that could go out and do that work in, in powerful ways. And then the fourth step in the process is at the, at the beginning of verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Now, the sender here is specifically God. And so that's important because a faithful preacher of the gospel doesn't go on his own initiative. We're not taking our message going on in our power, no, we go in the power of God. We, we don't even just go. Uh, we are sent by, I think, missionaries in particular are sent by a church. That's important. But ultimately, the one who sends us is the Lord. God gifts. God calls people. And God sends them to do His work. That's why uh, Jesus commanded us in Matthew nine thirty-seven and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. So we need God to raise up preachers. We need God to raise up disciple makers. Now, of course, again, we, we need to do our part. We, we need to work hard and strategize and think about a fostering of that in, in other people and in ourselves. And we need to be intentional. But folks, God is the one who has to put it in the heart of someone. And God is the one who gives the gifts. So we need to pray for Him to do that. And finally, are you fulfilling your stewardship in the harvest fields? You know, none of us in this room will probably ever preach like Charles Spurgeon. But you can share the gospel. You can walk someone through the, the basic truths of the Bible about who they are, who God is what Jesus has done, and you can invite them to be saved. You know, someone in your life needs to hear from you how they can receive Christ. So the question is, is are you going to tell them? Are you going to make it a priority to share the gospel? So, so folks, God has designed an incredible process for, for reaching the world. And, and it is at the center of who we are and what we do. You know, the Great Commission is not a good suggestion for Christians who really love Jesus. No, the Great Commission should, should be an anchor point, a driving point for the life of every believer. God has called you to participate in making disciples if you're saved. And, and so that's not just a like, well, you know, I'll fit some Great Commission in with, with all the goals and plans of my life. No, it should shape everything about you, everything about your life. It is vital 
It's why we're here as a church. I mean, we're not here to have fun, make each other laugh, have fellowship. Ultimately, we are here to fulfill the Great Commission. And so every Christian should passionately participate in that process. Because it is the most important mission in the world. And Paul tells us here that, that we should be glad to participate. And notice what he says at the end of verse 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now that's a quotation of Isaiah 50, 52, excuse me, verse 17. And, and Isaiah, in the context there, he's looking ahead to the end times when, when Jesus will come again and deliver Israel from all their enemies. And, and he pictures a herald, a preacher, running all over the hillsides of Israel, around Jerusalem specifically, telling the good news that we've won. We've won. And so the people will say, how beautiful are the feet of this messenger who is running swiftly to, to tell us this great news that, that we have been victorious. And Paul is saying that a gospel messenger is also a wonderful blessing. Now, if you're a Christian... Aren't you thankful for the person that first shared the gospel with you? I mean, that person changed your life and changed your eternity. And you can be that person for someone else. Now, of course, if you're out preaching the gospel faithfully, some people are going to get upset at you. Some of them are going to look at you with a blank stare and not care one bit about what you have to say. But imagine God using you to see someone converted to Christ. It's one of the most wonderful experiences you will ever have. It's a great privilege. So go quickly with the gospel. That's the idea behind beautiful feet. I, probably doubt, I doubt many of us think of our feet as beautiful. And so the idea here is not, is, is not the, the attractiveness of your feet. The idea is the swiftness with which we go. And, and so we need to run swiftly. Not just if we get around to it, we need to run swiftly to reach people with the gospel. And we need to partner together in seeing the gospel run swiftly to new places. New parts of our own communities and all over the world. You know, so, so, so what are you doing to participate in the Great Commission beyond just sharing the gospel? How are you working within our con the confines of our church to reach people here to make disciples? Now, where are you wasting money that could be better invested in the work of the Great Commission? In Apple Valley and in all sorts of other places. And we can partner together in the most important process in the world. And then notice that verse 17 then drives home the necessity of evangelism. So, so verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. You know, sometimes the world's evils are just overwhelming, aren't they? You look around society, corruption is everywhere, and our culture's philosophy is just absolutely evil so much of the time. And then you look at the church, and the church feels very small. So what do we do about it? How do we stay relevant? How do we make the widest impact? And you know what sometimes happens is that fear motivates Christians to, to compromise what the Scriptures teach. 
You know, maybe, maybe we just need to show the world that we're really good people. Give them food, be nice, don't be confrontational. And then maybe they'll come around. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe what we need to do is we need to put on an awesome show and then slip some Jesus in. You know, maybe we can push through a political savior and he can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. On and on it goes. You know, Christians are, are always grasping for new powers of influence. And, and there might be some value. All right? I'm not dismissing all of those things as having no value at all. But folks, we, never, we better never forget where our real power lies. It is the Word of Christ. You know, so Paul says early in the book, Romans 1 verse, 17, or verse 16, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So our superpower as a church, our superpower, our greatest weapon and the only hope of sinners is the preaching of the gospel. That's what transforms people. So yes, we want to be winsome. We, we don't want to create unnecessary distractions. We, we want to put our best face forward. But folks, the gospel is our superpower. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So don't forget that you know, as, as you minister. Don't forget that as you work here in our church. You know, the programs that we do, the, the, the ministries that we do, the games we do, the snacks that we do, they all have a part, but none of those things are going to save people. The gospel saves people. So preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. You know, same goes for your daily witness. I mean, you want to have a good testimony in your neighborhood. And you want to, to, to give a good flavor of Christianity. But remember, faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. So make sure that you get to the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. Tell people who Jesus is. Tell them what He has done for them and how they can be saved. Don't forget your superpower. Now, God won't save everyone. Some people are going to be deeply offended by the Gospel. You might even lose a relationship. But the Spirit will work as we faithfully proclaim the Gospel. He will give faith. He will save some. So preach courageously. Preach compassionately. And preach confidently, expecting God to work. We read earlier, Jesus said the fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. God can save. So we need to pray and we need to work. So, so the challenge for the Christian is very clear. Spread the gospel. You need to do it in your personal life with the people that God has put around you. And we need to partner together in the church to, to spread the gospel uh, here in our own context, in our community, our part of the state, and, and all over the world. That is our mission. But, but maybe someone is here and all that is foreign to you because you've never actually believed the gospel called in the name of the Lord yourself. And this passage also includes an important challenge for you. And that is, you need to respond to the gospel. Now, now verses 18 through 21 are a little bit complicated. And, um, and, and so I want to walk through them in such a way that we, we want to explain the text. 
uh, but, but also um, really get to the point that Paul is making. And so we, we have to remember that, that Paul's primary concern throughout Romans 9 through 11 is with Israel and, and his sorrow over Israel's rejection of Jesus. Why was it that God's chosen people had rejected their Messiah? So, so even as verses 14 through 17 talk glowingly about what God is doing among the Gentiles to spread the gospel, Israel is never far from Paul's thoughts. And so notice the tragedy of verse 16. He says, However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so it's not enough to hear the gospel. You have to obey the gospel. Otherwise, it does you no good. So it could be that that you have heard the gospel many times. And and you may not be hostile to the gospel. You're sitting in church today. But you've never obeyed the gospel by confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and calling on Him to save you. So I think it's important to be clear that hearing the gospel does not save you. You have to respond. You have to believe and call on the Lord. And so, make that decision if you've not done so before. Because you don't want to end up like the Jews of Paul's day. And again, that's Paul's primary concern here. And Paul and other apostles... I mean, by, by the time Paul wrote Romans, they, they had been preaching the gospel among the Jews for almost 30 years. I mean, Paul, the apostles, the church, that they want to reach the Jews, they want to tell them that their Messiah has come. And yet, the vast majority were hostile to the message. It was heartbreaking. But of course, Paul says here that it shouldn't have been surprising, and he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 1, to make that point. Again, he says there, a Lord... Who has believed our report? Now, it's fascinating that that he quotes from Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 is is one of the most beloved passages in all the Bible. You know, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah Isaiah prophesied with incredible accuracy how, how the Messiah would suffer, how He would become our sacrifice for sins and provide salvation. It's great news. But Israel, when Jesus came, they weren't looking for a Savior from their sins. They were looking for a political Savior. And Isaiah said they would not believe. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, the Bible warns us that that most people will not respond to our witness. So the fact that someone is not interested, the fact that someone is hostile, that doesn't mean you did something wrong. Or that you need to change your strategy. You might need to change your strategy. But the fact that they reject doesn't mean that you should. It certainly doesn't mean that you should stop sharing the gospel. Keep sharing because it honors God. And God will save some. But but that said, verses 18-21 through return to the Israelite conundrum. Why didn't they believe? Why didn't they believe? And Paul first points out that Israel had heard the gospel. Again, he says in verses 18 and 19, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? 
First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. Now just imagine in Paul's day, the committee for Jewish evangelism having a little get-together. The Jews aren't getting saved. They're not responding. So what are we doing wrong? You know, are, are we, are, do we need to, to fix how we're preaching? Do we need to do something differently? You know, maybe, maybe Paul is, is kind of skipping over the Jews and just going to the Gentiles because he's biased towards them. And Paul responds that hearing is not the problem. The Jews had heard the message. And, um, and he says the message has gone out into all the world. It doesn't mean there literally that everyone on the face of the planet had heard the gospel. He's going to say in chapter 15 that, that he is, his ambition is to take the gospel to new places where it was not at. So his point is, is that the gospel had been preached to the Jews throughout the world. They were hearing the gospel. You know, isn't it tragic to hear some people's excuses as to why they will not get saved? You ever shared the gospel with someone and they say something like this? Well, well, my uncle was a Christian and he was a jerk. So I don't want to be like my uncle. Or my pastor had problems. He was, he was a legalist. He was too confrontational. I didn't like his tone. So, so I don't want anything to do with Christianity. Probably the one that you hear the most is my parents made mistakes. My parents had this issue and that issue and and, and people are bitter about what they did, and so I don't want to be like my parents. So I don't want anything to do with the gospel. And, and if someone here is using that kind of excuse as to why you will not get saved, then, then please see that it is not going to help you out at the judgment someday. I mean, you're not going to stand before God at the last day and, and say, well, 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 so-and-so was a sinner. And because of what they did, I rejected. And think that God's going to say, oh, I'll let you in. No, all of us are responsible to respond to the Gospel. So you have heard the Gospel today. I'm sure it could have been presented better. But you've heard it. In the songs and in the message, the text of Scripture... And you are accountable to respond. And that is the only thing that will matter when you stand before God someday. It doesn't matter what someone else did, how they treated you. As painful as it may be, you need to respond to Christ. Sadly, Israel didn't. Verse 18 says they heard, and verse 19 says they knew. The fault was with them. And verse 19 actually quotes, uh, from Deuteronomy 32 to say that, that God always knew they would reject. And, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. I mean, before Israel even entered the land, Moses said in the wilderness that, that you are going to disobey God, you're going to reject Him, and He is going to judge you. And he said that God will make you jealous by a Gentile nation. And that's what ex- ex- exactly what was happening in Paul's day. That, that Israel had heard the Gospel They refused to respond, and so God was taking the gospel to other nations. And so Israel had heard. But then Paul closes the chapter by quoting Isaiah to make the point that they disobeyed the gospel. They disobeyed the gospel. 
And, and so verse 20 again says, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Now, now notice here the contrast between the Gentile response to the gospel and the Jewish response. So first, he notes that the Gentiles were, were not seeking after God. You know, so, so when Paul showed up in Ephesus or Galatia or uh, Philippi, you know, most of these people are pagans. They've never heard of the true God. They're not trying to obey the true God. They're not looking for Messiah. But then they heard the Gospel. They realized they were sinners, they were convicted, and they responded in faith. They believed on Christ. And they were getting saved. But how did Israel respond? Well, Paul ends the chapter by saying that they are disobedient and obstinate. That's not great, is it? They were so familiar with the truth that they missed its real glory. They had heard so many times about God and the Scriptures that they stopped listening. They became so focused on what they wanted God to be saying and what they wanted God to do that they missed the glory of who Jesus is. And so they were stubborn. And so their views distorted them so much that they didn't even recognize Jesus when He came or or when they heard the Gospel later. It's tragic. And sadly, it it sounds like a lot of people that that I've talked to over the years grew up in church or grew up in Christian families. They know it all in their heads. And they can talk the talk of a Christian. But, but but, But they've let the familiarity of the Gospel breed contempt in their hearts for its glory. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, 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 I've heard this before. And they don't see the beauty of Jesus. Or again, maybe they've used the failures of God's people as an excuse to be bitter or to be angry at God or to dismiss His Word as untrue. Many other times, people become so enamored with their own righteousness that they don't think they need any grace. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a teenager, a young adult, maybe an older adult in this room as well, that, that, that that's what's going on in your heart. You, you've been hurt somehow by our church, another church, by a parent, by some sort of Christian worker. You've been disappointed. And, and, and you, you are bitter against God Hardened against God because of what you have endured. And of course, we don't ever want to make excuses for sin and ungodliness. So if you have been hurt, we we want to talk about it. We, We want to work towards resolution. But don't run from the hope of the Gospel. Don't run from Christ. No, see that He is a beautiful Savior. I mean, the Gospel goes out, 2 Corinthians 4 says, in jars of clay. That's not very pretty or glorious. We are all broken people. But Jesus is not. He is good and beautiful. And so receive Him as your Lord and Savior. He is where your confidence lies. Rest in Him. Trust in Him. You won't regret it.
So if you've never received Christ, respond to the gospel today. Come to Jesus and be saved. And Christian, keep spreading the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. It can transform any life. Don't put boundaries on what the gospel can accomplish. No, boldly and lovingly, let's go out this week and share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the glorious truth in this passage. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room, I'm sure there is, who has never responded to the Gospel, that they would do that even now. That they would confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, and that they would be saved. And God, I pray for those of us who know You as Savior, that Lord, we would feel the weight of this passage. The weight of responsibility. And the the wonder, the glory of that responsibility. That we can share the best news in all the world and we can be used of You to turn people from darkness to light, from condemnation to glory, from hell to heaven. And so God, help us this week by Your grace to go out and share the Gospel, to be used of You to make an impact in other people's lives. Give us boldness. Give us vision. Give us compassion for the lost. And give us conviction that Your Word is powerful. In Jesus' name, Amen.